0: you're listening to the sermon audio for english ministries at tri-city chinese christian church we meet on sundays at 11:30 30 a.m at the kyle center in port moody british columbia so blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near those are the words that Revelation starts with that Dan so wonderfully read for us this morning and that's the claim that Revelation makes that on reading and hearing the words of the book the letter of Revelation that we would be blessed and encouraged by hearing it but how many of us actually feel blessed when we read Revelation I think if we understand the context of the book a little bit more the context to which it's written and I think we can truly feel blessed by these words that wrap up the story of God, at least told, in our Bibles. And there are many things that confuse us about Revelation. The genre of the letter is apocalyptic, uh, and it's a genre that we don't really have in modern day writing today. Perhaps science fiction might be the closest thing we can get to it. It's filled with symbolism. The descriptions that John gives are not literal descriptions, but mean something else. Pretty much every number in the book of Revelation is not to be taken literally without some skepticism, but actually represents something else that the Jewish people were very familiar with, that we aren't necessarily as familiar with in our everyday today. The other barrier comes in which parts of Revelation is written to who and applies to whom, is the book of Revelation written for the uh, for the people that uh, first read it in that first century when John read it? Is it pretty much all take place in the future and is talking about what happens when Jesus is going to return? These are questions that come up as people try to interpret the book of Revelation. But the context that we have to keep in mind is that John, who is writing the book of Revelation, is writing to a particular people he knows about, and he knows the situation that they find themselves in, and he is writing to them. So Revelation is written in 96 AD, and Domitian is the emperor of Rome, and he actively sought to have every everyone in the empire be required to worship him as a god. And so there are temples, uh, built all around the empire uh, for emperor worship. Previous emperors were set up to be worshiped as gods as well, but they just kind of let it happen. They didn't uh, enforce it politically at all. they just like, okay, you wanna build a temple in my honor? Fine, do it, worship, to it, whatever, I don't care. Domitian was the first one to be like, no, this is mandated, everyone must come and worship me at these temples. And this was not a problem for most people, higher because they were polytheistic they believed many gods so what's adding one more god to the mix in caesar anyway but christians who were monotheistic could not worship caesar and jesus at the same time so they refused to do this worshiping of caesar and so they were greatly persecuted it's during his reign that it was the most intense persecution the church faced up until that point and in this, uh, the book, the first few chapters, John is writing to these churches uh, that he writes specifically to them in each kind of little paragraph. And all these churches are in Asia Minor, where emperor worship is the most prevalent, where cities are trying to outdo one another in showing their zeal for worshiping the emperor. And so it is to these churches that... John is writing, that they're being heavily persecuted because it is the center of zeal and excitement for emperor worship that these people are, these Christians are refusing to take part on. So it's once we see that the churches that John is writing to is, are being heavily persecuted, that we can see how Revelation is actually an encouraging book and bless it comes with a blessing. And when we rec- recognize that context, then we can see the blessing, the encouragement that it can give to us today. So, Daryl Johnson wrote this book, I don't know, a few years ago, 2004, uh, called Discipleship on the Edge, and it's about Revelation, and most of my message comes out of this book. I would lend it to you, but I took it out from my library, so if anyone is really interested on a really good book of Revelation, let me know, and I'll buy it for the church Library, and you can go in there, and you can borrow it. It's thick, but it's really good. And honestly, it could be a quarter of the size smaller because at the beginning of every chapter, he basically summarizes everything he said before. Um, but it's really, really good. So, he, uh, I'll take first for him what he talks about is apocalyptic literature. So, the genre that Revelation is. And he says this The fundamental conviction of apocalyptic literature is that things are not as they seem, there is more to reality than meets the unaided eyes or ears. There is more to the present historical moment than we can deduce. And apocalyptic writing seeks to unveil that unseen reality of the present, to pull back the curtain on the present uh, so that we can see what is really going on. And so in Revelation, John sees a door into heaven open. And it peels back a curtain with this peek into the spiritual realm. And we talked a lot this morning in Ephesians 2, kind of talked a lot about the things that we're talking about in Revelation today of this spiritual realm. And the big thing about revelation is often we view the spiritual realm as something that's we will have uh, we will be in fully after our death in heaven. The kind of our spirit goes off and, and dwells in the spiritual realm in heaven up in the sky in the clouds or whatever. But what John is saying is that the spiritual realm is present on earth with us and has impact on what we experience in the physical realm. They're not so separated, uh, but they actually intermingle. Um, So there's much more going on in the world. And um, John is showing them that there are these other things that are at play that we don't see because we dwell in the physical realm. So as we dig into Revelation, we're not gonna be able to get super deep because it really, to get deep in, needs a whole series rather than just one message that I'm sharing with you. So there's a whole bunch of Old Testament references throughout Revelation that I may touch on some of them, but I'm not going to go super deep into them because then we will be here for like three hours talking about Revelation probably. So that's your warning. We're not going to get super deep into this, but I'm going to try to help give you at least a framework in which to see and read Revelation. So Revelation 1 to 3 uh, features a message to seven churches in Asia We did this in our, one of our praying through scriptures I think our first one in our prayer workshop we did We went through the seven letters uh, to the churches in Asia Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea Each one of them gets a personal message put to them But there's a general message that's given to all of them That comes in John's vision before the messages are given On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were a blazing furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he had seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was shining like, a sun, like the sun in all its brilliance. So here we have a figure that John sees walking among seven lampstands. Seven lampstands represent the seven churches. He's writing letters, seven churches. There's seven lampstands that he sees. Son of Man is how Jesus referred to himself when he was on earth. So this figure is Jesus. He's just taking the lingo that Jesus used to call himself when he was living amongst disciples as Son of Man. So that's how we know that this figure is Jesus. The robe and golden sash reflect the garb of the high priest in the Old Testament. So it's saying that Jesus is the great high priest who not only offers the sacrifice of atonement, restoring our relationship with God forgiving our sins but is himself the sacrifice for our atonement and that's represented with his hair being as white as wool or as white as snow the pure lamb sacrificial lamb that is sacrificed on our behalf for our sins so he's both the great high priest and he's the sacrifice himself his feet are glowing like bronze uh, like through a bronze through a furnace and this is a reference to a vision in Daniel Daniel sees a statue and the head's made of something bronze or steel or something and then the body's made of a different material and the legs are made of a different material and the feet are made of crumbled stone. And in this vision it represents these four different nations uh, that are varying strength but because the feet are crumbled stone they collapse. Jesus' feet are seem like glowing bronze uh, meaning that he's got a stronger foundation. It's a firm foundation is Jesus's kingdom it's not going to be one that collapses these are what a bunch of these visions mean when he sees Jesus Jesus literally doesn't have bronze feet he uh, when we go to heaven and we see Jesus that's not literally what he looks like but this is what John is trying to communicate to them um, it says he has seven stars in his hand the Romans liked astrology they like trying to predict the future by looking up into the stars Seven is going to be a number that comes up over and over again. Seven represents for them the number of completion. So Jesus has seven stars. He's in complete control of history and the future. If you want to believe in astrology, it's actually that Jesus is the one who places those stars in the sky. So it's trust in Jesus and that Jesus is in control of history and the future and determines it, not the stars itself. That's what the seven stars are representing. But the big message that John is giving to these churches is that Jesus is walking amongst these seven lampstands. The one who gave his life for the people, the one who is acting as high priest on their behalf, whose kingdom is everlasting, and who determines the course of history isn't just off in some distant realm, uh, watching us from a distance, but is actually walking amongst the churches. He is there in the midst of them. And that's the encouragement that they need. They're facing persecution and suffering because of their faith in Jesus. But know that Jesus is not some distant place away from you, but is with you and amongst you and suffering with you and is there to encourage you because he reigns in power with you. Revelation 4 and 5 then moves into more depth of who Jesus is and what he has done. So in Revelation 4, we enter the throne room of God. There we see 24 elders with golden crowns and four strange creatures, one with the face of a lion, one with the face of an ox, one with the face of a man, and one with the face of an eagle. So again, tons of symbolism. This is a really weird picture that we see up on the screen that someone's trying to put what John is seeing they're all worshiping God in front of a throne on a sea of glass clear as crystal this is where numbers really come in 24 elders 12 plus 12 is 24 12 tribes of Israel 12 apostles of Jesus so we have the entire people of God 12 tribes of Israel representing God's people in the Old Testament 12 apostles representing God's people now in the New Testament. So it's the entirety of God's people worshiping God is the image that he's putting across here. We have four of these strange creatures. Four is a number that represents creation. They believe the earth was flat, and so there's four corners of the earth. There's four winds, north, east, west, south. Uh, So four, uh, I think they also believe the earth sat on pillars, and there's four pillars that the earth sat on as well. So four represents creation Uh, You have the lion which is considered the greatest of the wild animals You have the ox which is considered the greatest of the livestock You have man which is the image of God who's put in charge of being the steward over creation as we saw Way back in the creation account you have the eagle which is considered the greatest of the flying animals I don't know why fish aren't represented, but they're not represented in the four elders Um, but represents all of creation so all of god's people and creation itself is worshiping god in the throne room uh john also then sees oh there's also this um uh, they're standing on a sea of glass um, as well what were the exact words that i said Uh, throwing about sea of glass clear as crystal. We remember back into the creation account uh, the sea is the symbol of chaos and here you have God's throne sitting on a, a sea of glass so it's not moving it's not chaotic God has control over the chaos um, and is now just crystal and a nice beautiful feature of his throne but is no longer chaotic he has brought complete order to the sea as well there so no chaos in this throne as well. Up in, uh, God, uh, John sees God on the throne, sees his hand holding a scroll with seven seals. Uh, And they look all upon the earth to see if there's anyone worthy to break the seals, but no one is found worthy to do so. And John weeps. But then an angel says to him, don't weep, for the line of Judah is worthy to open the seals. And John turns and he looks and he sees a lamb as if it was slain. And this is a big shock. He says, don't worry, the Lion of Judah is worthy to break the seals. John turns, he doesn't see a lion, he sees a lamb that looks like it's been killed. Reading the book, if someone's reading this out loud for the first time, say, the Lion of Judah, you're expecting to see this great lion, instead you see a lamb. And it reflects this expectation that people had of the Messiah when he came to earth, that the Messiah was going to be great, this great military leader that was going to gather the armies and attack Rome and overthrow it and set up God's kingdom of Israel on earth again. Very lion activities. But instead, Jesus comes and he offers himself as a sacrifice, as a sacrificial lamb, and brings the kingdom of God onto earth itself. So you turn expecting to see a lion. They were expecting the Messiah to be a lion. And he turns out to be a lamb. And you see the lamb that was slain. And it's through this that Jesus is considered worthy to break these seals. It also describes that Jesus is standing in the center of the throne. Daryl Johnson says this about that significance of the center of the throne. Jesus Christ, the crucified, stands at the very center of the throne because he stands at the very center of the Almighty. Jesus comes from and lives in the very center of the living God. The heart of the Almighty is the heart of the Lamb. This is the scene of the throne room. Chapter 6 is when our interpretations of Revelation really start to vary and begin to be where we don't see Revelation. is a very encouraging book. It starts with the seven seals being broken, and the first four seals bring the four horsemen of the apocalypse war, famine, pestilence, and death. The fifth seal has those who have been martyred uh, appear and start praying out to God, asking how long until he judges the earth, how long will he allow his people's blood to be spilled? The sixth, feature features, sixth seal features a great earthquake on earth and the cosmos start falling down to the earth. There's then a pause between the sixth and the seventh seal the kings of the earth and everyone on the earth starts asking who can withstand the wrath of god and then it describes 144,000 people being sealed and a great multitude in white robes worshiping before the throne of god then the seventh seal is broken and there's silence the worship stops silence in heaven for half an hour there are many ways that people try to interpret these seven seals and later the seven trumpets that come and then the seven bowls that come. And a lot of them focus on these as future events. These are things that are going to happen just before Jesus comes. But if we consider that John is writing to a people who he knew, people who are in the midst of a great persecution, and he's seeking to encourage them to remain steadfast in their faith, would writing about future judgments upon them, upon the earth Uh, really encourage them to stay steadfast in the faith now. If you were a Ukrainian right now and your country was being attacked and someone said to you, oh, don't worry, in the future there's going to be an even greater war, are you feeling comforted and encouraged in your position? Rather, what is happening is that the Lamb is coming, he's breaking these seals, causing these things to happen on earth. Jesus comes and he preaches that the kingdom of heaven is coming near. The kingdom is inaugurated or enters in onto earth through Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. what we see in the seven seals is what happens when one kingdom comes and starts bumping up against another kingdom. You have the kingdom of God who's starting to enter into earth and it's clashing with the kingdom of humanity, the kingdom of the earth, that wants to stay in charge. Just before the seven trumpets come, We see uh, an angel take a censure, which is one of these smoking things that you see in Catholicism and I think Anglicanism as well, uh, that's filled with incense. And uh, this censure is filled with incense, and it takes the prayers of God's people and puts it in it, throws it to earth, which causes this great earthquake. And again, we're going to go to Daryl Johnson for uh, his description of this. History is moved by many forces, but one of the greatest forces is prayer. It's just that in praying for Jesus Christ, the reigning lamb, to fully establish this kingdom on earth, things start happening. The kingdom begins to break in, changing things, upsetting the status quo, unmasking idols, flushing out evil, and meeting resistance. And the followers of the lamb get caught in the crunch. War, famine, pestilence, death happen when, these, when two kingdoms collide. I mean, we're seeing it in Ukraine and Russia right now, war, famine often comes from war, pestilence, death. In the sixth seal, you see the cosmos collapsing. God is saying to humanity, the kingdom of the earth, you want to be gods? Okay, then you try to hold the cosmos and keep the earth sustained without my presence. And that's what happens. Cosmos start collapsing because we can't do that as humans because we're not God. He gives humanity what they want. So all these things are happening as two kingdoms start colliding together. So before the seventh seal comes, the, king, the kings and the people on earth who don't follow God ask the question, who can stand before the wrath and judgment of God? And the answer to that question comes in 144,000 being sealed. Time for math once again. Yay, math. 12 again. 12 people, tribes of Israel. Times 12 is 144 people of God. And you times it by 10, 10 is their way of saying a lot. So it's not a literal 144,000. It's the entirety of the people of God. So times by 10, that means there's a lot of them. Times it by 10 again, there's a lot, a lot of them. Times it by 10 again, there's a great multitude that you cannot number, that constitute the people of God, which kind of reflects and reminds the promise to Abraham. I will make into a great nation whose descendants can't be counted. There will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, numerous as the grains of sand on the seashore. That's what we're seeing. They can't number the multitude of people who have been sealed. Uh, and the seal is the Holy Spirit that comes upon the people of God. And it says the seal is on the forehead. Uh, it's not a literal visible seal, uh, like a tattoo on your forehead that says Jesus Christ on it. Rather, it means that the presence of the Spirit in our lives should be obvious, as if it was written on our foreheads to the people around us. It represents our character, our actions in our minds, our hearts, reflect Jesus's character, action, mind, and heart. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit that transforms us into being more like Christ. And that is what allows us to be able to stand before this wrath, this judgment that's coming upon the earth. It's that Christ, uh, as we stand before the judgment, because we have the seal upon us, Christ stands in our place and we are declared righteous because of what he has done. The seven seals are showing that the persecution that the Christians are facing during this time, and many Christians face around the earth today, is the result of God's kingdom coming to earth. And they're getting caught into the crunch of it. And though they may be killed, in the end they will stand before God's judgment and be declared righteous and enter into eternal life because of the Spirit in their lives. Who can stand before God's judgment? It's the people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. The seventh seal brings silence in heaven for half an hour, preparing the way for the seven trumpets. And the trumpets act similar to the seven seals. Through the trumpets we see a third of the world burned up, a third of the sea turned into blood, a third of the springs and rivers turned bitter, a third of the sun and a third of the stars darkened, torturing locusts come on earth for five months, and a third of mankind killed by angelic armies. And then again we have an interlude, something between the sixth and the seventh trumpet. And in these judgments we actually see God's mercy, which we talked actually a lot about in Ephesians today, is wrath. Merciful is wrath-loving. Uh, Throughout the Old Testament prophecies, they speak of a remnant remaining from God's judgment upon Israel. And that remnant is one-third, typically. Two-thirds are destroyed, one-third are saved. But in these judgments, God flips the equation. One-third is destroyed and two-thirds are saved. There is mercy. Instead of the prophecies that say only one-third is going to saved God says no two-thirds are going to be saved in this interlude uh, the question is not directly stated um, but there's an answer given in first John is again given a scroll and it says sweet to his mouth but turns his stomach sour and then he's commanded to prophesy about many peoples nations and kings the squirrel tastes sweet because of the sweetness of the gospel, the message he shares, but sour because of the judgment that's proclaimed upon those who refuse the message and refuse to follow God. Then there's this vision of two witnesses described as two lampstands or two olive trees that prophesy to the world. They call plagues down, they turn waters into blood before they're attacked and killed by a beast and left unburied, but they're raised to life again and taken up into heaven where an earthquake strikes the earth is the 10th of the city. Strange images again, revelation for you. We've seen that lap stands represented the churches before, but there were seven there, and instead here we have two. And the reason for this is if you read the seven letters uh, to the seven churches, five of them get told, these are things you're doing well, but these are things that I have against you that you're not doing well. Two of them only get praised for what they've done. They have no message of condemnation only two of the churches have remained completely faithful to Jesus so two witnesses here those two churches who have remained completely faithful so these witnesses represent churches that are filled with the Holy Spirit so the question that is asked in this pause is in those who have the seal what are they going to what are they to do during this colliding of two kingdoms and the answer is to witness, to proclaim the coming of God's kingdom and invite the peoples, nations, and languages to join the kingdom. After this, the seventh trumpet sounded, and everyone falls in worship before God. Who can stand the judgment of God? Those who are sealed with the Holy Spirit. What are those who are sealed with the Holy Spirit to do while they're being persecuted? Is to continue to witness and proclaim God's kingdom. So encouraging words, hold steadfast to your faith. It's because God's kingdom is coming, and that's what we're praying for. That's why you're facing certain, for persecution. Continue to witness and proclaim. That's what God's calling you to do during this crunch. Moving into Revelation 12, it then shows why the followers of Jesus are persecuted and suffer when these two kingdoms start colliding. It's because the kingdom of earth is under Satan instead of God. So it tells of a dragon that awaits a woman who is in the pains of childbirth. It waits to eat the child once it's born, but the child is taken up into heaven. So the dragon turns on the woman with a flood that comes out of its mouth, but the earth opens up and swallows the flood to protect her. So the dragon begins going after the offspring of the woman. So we have a woman here who represents both Mary and the church. And the baby is obviously Jesus. It's a different telling of the Christmas story. So it's saying the church is being persecuted uh, during the incoming of God's kingdom because Satan already knows that he has been defeated. And so now he's thrashing out in rage and anger, trying to do as much damage as he can to the people of God before that victory fully comes, before that kingdom fully is established on earth. And that is why the church is suffering, is because of this kingdom of the earth under Satan uh, is the one who's thrashing out anger and rage at the incoming of God's kingdom and its imminent defeat. So then the book starts moving focus to the forces operating on earth against the kingdom of God. First, we see a beast out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns. It represents a leopard with the feet of a bear, and the mouth of the lion. The dragon gives it, it, it its authority and power. One of the ten heads has a fatal wound, but was healed, and people worshipped this beast. So this beast comes out of the sea, which again represents chaos and the forces of evil. And so the appearance of the beast here actually mimics the appearance of Jesus, the lamb. When Jesus takes the scroll to break the... Um, the seven seals, he's described as having seven horns. Horns represent power. Seven, the number of completion. Jesus is completely powerful. Uh, The beast has 10 horns. Horns, again, representing power, 10 meaning a lot. So the beast has a lot of power as well, Uh, but not complete power, only Jesus has complete power. The lamb has seven eyes. Eyes represent wisdom. Jesus has seven of them; he's completely wise, and he sits or he stands in the center of the throne, so he is king of the universe. The beast has ten crowns; he's got a lot of rulership, a lot of kingship over the earth that's given to him by the by the dragon. The lamb looks as if it's been slain. The beast has a head that looks as though it's been slain; it's mimicking. The appearance of Jesus. The beast from the sea represents human government that steps out from under God's authority and tries to be God itself. The people are worshipping the beast out of the sea. During that time, Domitian is commanding that people worship him as God, as he's the emperor. Um, Though empires are slain, you have a head that's slain, but it is healed and still stays alive. Empires are slain as they collapse, and another, but another always takes its place. Assyria was one of the first great empires. It got taken, collapsed, and got taken over by Babylon, which collapsed and got taken over by Persia, which collapsed and got taken over by Greece, which collapsed and got taken over by Rome, and Rome eventually will collapse. All these rise to great power, but they all fall apart, but are replaced by another empire. The resemblance of the leopard and the bear and a lion again comes from a vision of Daniel who sees four beasts one that looks like a bear, one that looks like a lion, one that looks like a, a leopard, and one, I can't remember what the other one looks like, but it represents these empires Assyria and Babylon and Persia, which all came during Daniel's time and took over one another. That's how we know that this beast represents empires that are trying to take the place of God, because it comes from Daniel's vision. Another beast comes out, which is the beast from the earth. It has two horns like a lamb, but speaks like a dragon. It is also given authority and power by the dragon and performs signs and wonders. It orders people to worship the beast of the sea and kills those who refuse to worship. People who could not could not buy or sell without the mark of the beast on them, 666. Six, six. That great verse that meant barcodes, when barcodes first came out, that meant any injection of, vaccine that you get in is this mark of the beast these microchips that they're working on that's getting injected under your skin is the mark of the beast, at least that's how we like to interpret it the beast here mimics the Holy Spirit, so you have the dragon who's giving authority, it's mimicking God the Father, you have the beast of the sea which mimics Jesus and now you have um, the beast of the earth that mimics the the Holy Spirit, the unholy trinity you can call it Uh, it's is um, performing signs and wonders, like the Holy Spirit performs miracles through the believers. This one performs signs and wonders. Um, It's showing that Satan is most, is best able to deceive the people of God by putting on the guise of religion. And this uh, beast represents uh, the cult that is promoting emperor worship and trying to get these Christians to compromise their faith also worshiping the Emperor and Jesus um, it has two horns so it's again reflecting the two two churches the two witnesses uh, previously that uh, are telling about the kingdom so this is the false prophets they're telling the worship the Emperor uh, and it does these signs and wonders what was one of the things that would happen is they would have the statue to the Emperor in these temples and they would have priests behind a curtain that would puppet it and make its arms move. And people would think the statue is moving on its own. It's this great miracle, but it's the high priest puppeting the the things. That's one of those signs and wonders that they would be doing. It talks about the mark of the beast being 666. It's mimicking the seal of the Holy Spirit that the people have on them. Uh, And again, we gotta look at the number six. It's one less than seven. So it is a number of incompleteness. Seven is complete, six is incomplete. So though the beasts have great power on earth, it's not complete power uh, because only Jesus has complete power. They may be in power right now on the earth, but it's not going to last because only God's kingdom is the eternal kingdom. So they're encouraging to remain their faith in God and despite this persecution because God is still in power. He has complete power despite it looking like these beasts have power on the earth. Lots of imagery, lots of explanation to be made about those. But God, uh, John, is speaking to a people who are being persecuted for their refusal to participate in emperor worship. And so all this, John is saying, this is what's happening in the spiritual realm. God is in complete control still. Remain faithful. God's kingdom is pressing in, and the kingdom of earth, the kingdom of Satan, is lashing out on you as it's trying to fight against pushing, being pushed out by God's kingdom but God's kingdom is coming and finding its roots here on earth so stay faithful because you're going to be given that eternal life if you remain faithful we're not going to go through seven bowls we're going to move forward through revelation where it eventually does move into this future uh, look where the beasts and the dragon are thrown into the lake of fire these powers which overwhelm and kill the people of God now will not last for God has already achieved victory God's kingdom will be will will fully replace the kingdom of of the earth and replace the evil and it will be cast away into the lake of fire being utterly destroyed and the moment of God's kingdom coming fully on earth is described beautifully in Revelation 21 1-4 then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea It then goes on to describe this new Jerusalem that comes out of heaven. It has 12 gates with the 12 tribes of Israel written on them. They always remain open for there's no need to close them against evil and danger that come across because it's completely, the earth is now completely safe. Evil's been dealt with. There's no worry of danger anymore. There's 12 foundation stones, each with the, apostle, uh, the apostle's name on it. Again, 12, 12, tribe of Israel fellow apostles, people of God. The city is for the complete, all of the people of God. There's no longer any sea, which again represents chaos. It's not that there's no water in the new Jerusalem. It's that there is no more chaos. God has brought his complete and perfect order to earth in his kingdom. The city is described as being 12,000 stadia long, 12,000 stadia wide, 12,000 stadia high. It's a perfect cube, which is exactly what the Holy of Holies in the middle of the temple is. It's a perfect cube as well. The Holy of Holies is a place where God's presence fully dwells in the temple. So mimicking that cube, God's presence fully dwells in this new Jerusalem. Again, we have the number 12, times by 10, times by 10, times by 10. Which means it's not literally 12,000 by 12,000 by 12,000. But that it completely covers the earth and completely envelops the people of God. It's not just this. Sometimes you see pictures. I should have grabbed one of those pictures. Where you see this cube, giant cube of a city sit on top of the earth as if it's going to be in the arctic or something but sits on top of the earth as if suggesting that outside of that city is not the kingdom of god but that's not what they're seeing it's god's presence the entirety of the kingdom of god covering the entirety of the earth So the encouragement that this kingdom of evil that's persecuting and causing you to suffer right now is not going to last because God's kingdom is coming and it's coming soon to fully envelop the earth and there's no more evil, no more death, no more pain, no more mourning and this is the encouragement and the blessing that we get from Revelation I lost my clicker Uh, This is the encouragement and the blessing that we get from Revelation. Hold fast to your faith. There's war and suffering and pain throughout the earth, but hold fast. Jesus walks among his churches as king of the universe. The powers of darkness may have great power, but they don't have complete power. Only God does. Constantly throughout the book of Revelation is the command look, behold, open your eyes. Things aren't as they seem God is in power and Jesus is coming soon. The pain and suffering are signs that the kingdom of God is pressing in on this earth and Satan is doing all he can to hold back that kingdom. But those who have the seal of God, the Holy Spirit, can withstand the wrath. Those with the seal, witness to the world that God's kingdom is coming as we pray together, come Lord Jesus.